I need to actively say or actively think of a way to not be biased or actively think of my actions toward you and reflect on those and ensure that what I'm saying is and what I'm doing and, and the way that I treat you is the exact same way that I would treat anyone else and to be professional about everything. Episode 111, May 2015. This is part three of my Q&A with Parker Moore, software engineer at Visco and core maintainer of Jekyll RB. Who do you look up to in your profession? That's a great question. I look up to Brandon Mathis a lot. So you, you mentioned him earlier. He and I are good friends. Uh, we work on Octopress together. And he sort of gives me advice about Jekyll and about, advice about every, anything, really. He's very thoughtful. He's very careful. And he is very deliberate. And I like that. Uh, those are qualities that I wish that I had more of or ex uh, exhibited more of. And I look up to him in many ways because he just creates amazing things. And he's, he has three kids a love, lovely wife, and he still manages to contribute to open source with a full-time job, and it, it's just amazing. So I look up to him for all that he's able to do um, and his mentorship of me. But I don't. I guess I don't tend to take a lot of idols. I've never been never been one to really look up to people as as much as I sort of look up to works. I look up to the to the work of of Joe Armstrong in Erlang. I think what he did with Erlang and what he's done for computer science is extraordinary. But I, I'm not sure who else. What books have you been reading lately? I've been nerding out pretty hard lately. There's a guy named Daniel Everett, um, and not in tech. There's a guy named Daniel Everett who was one of the missionaries, a Mormon missionary who went down to the Amazon rainforest, and he was trying to convert a tribe called the Piraha, and they speak a language that is unlike most other languages in the world and has one unique quality that Daniel Everett has gotten a lot of flack for, um, specifically from Noam Chomsky, that they don't, that the language doesn't have recursion, that they don't use recursion, which means the dog the man owns ran down the river would not be a sentence that the, that the Piraha would say. They would never say that you sort of put a sentence within a sentence, what I did there. Um, they would say the dog ran down the, ran down the river Riverside or something like that. They don't have the ability or they don't because of cultural constraints. That's what uh, Everett argues. They don't because of cultural constraints put sen sentences within sentences and therefore they don't have this same idea of recursion. They don't, also don't have numbers. They don't have one, two, three. They have small quantity, big quantity, and one other quantity. Uh, maybe like unthinkable large or something. I forget what it is, but I'm, I'm just starting the book now. So I'm sort of reading about his experience there, his research. Um, I love linguistics. It was like human language, I love computer language as well, but human language is something so so amazing, something so transformative. What's your secret to decompress? To decompress, to calm down at the end of a busy day, stressful day, I'll usually watch a television show called The West Wing. It's my, my favorite show of all time. Or I'll read a book, or I'll write a letter. I like writing letters quite a lot. Are you a fan of standing desks? Yes, absolutely. When I worked for Sex Wunderkinder in Berlin, we had a standing desk. We had adjustable desks, so you could either sit or stand. And I loved standing. I'm. I think sitting is like the smoking of of our generation. Do you like meetings or brainstorms while taking a walk? Yeah, I have. Uh, I have biweekly one to ones with my one of my managers, and it's fantastic. We walk around Oakland. We walk maybe 
10 blocks or something, 15, 20 minutes. And it's great. I, I worry a little bit about talking about about brainstorming about company things out in the public just because the Silicon Valley is so densely technological and it's so difficult. I'm, I guess I'm not in the Valley specifically, but but sort of San Francisco area. Oakland is, is a growing tech hub as well. So I worry a little bit about talking about future plans of the company, uh, especially a company like mine that's so secretive. But I don't know. Yeah, in general, I love walks and, and chats over walks. What are you doing in your spare time besides technology stuff? Um, I still sing on occasion. I've been looking into groups, sing choral groups in San Francisco that I can join. I like to run, as I said already. Um, I tend to be a very solitary person, so I take long walks. I live a couple blocks away from Huntington Park, which is between Grace Cathedral and the Pacific U Union Club in San Francisco. And I'll sit there and people watch or read or write or sort of enjoy existence. What are your favorite cities uh, or places? Berlin is by far my favorite city in the world that I've been that I've been to and lived in. I like Oakland now that I've been there a lot. It's a great city, great place. What are you working on at the moment specifically? I'm still working on Jekyll 3. We are putting together plans and acting on those plans to bring Jekyll out of 2008 and into 2015. So hopefully making it, we, we've made it much faster. We've made it much more accessible. Um, we're thinking about creating a Mac app that allows you to sort of, or gives you a GUI interface to Jekyll, allows you to boot up a server for a given folder, etc. So we're working on some, some things like that. And that's sort of where my focus is at the moment. What can we do to make uh, women more welcome and maybe more um, comfortable in this industry? Do you have any ideas? It's a really good question. I honestly don't know. The thing that I will say is that hum as human beings, we're wired to relate to people who are like us. As a result of maybe the 80s gender switch, where much of the programming world went from, maybe it was 70s, went from women to men, because they had these big male idols like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, etc. Um, and great, the Grace Hoppers of the day were, were sort of fading into the, into the memory, the institutional memory, but fading behind these new stars. And, and because we're wired to relate to people that are like us, and because the stars of the day, because the role models of the day were all male, or many of them were male, then it, I think it became the people who are maybe interested in programming, but who are going into finance or were going into some more stable work, found an interest in computer science and said, ah, I could do this. And because the role models were men, they, they tended to be men. Nowadays, I think what we have to do is we have to say, generally, 99.999% of men are have some sort of subconscious bias against women, partly because they just aren't the same as men, and therefore they, they aren't as relatable, as naturally relatable because of the way that we're wired. So we have to say, I am biased against you. I need to actively say or actively think of a way to not be biased or actively think of my actions toward you and reflect on those and ensure that what I'm saying is and what I'm doing and, and the way that I treat you is the exact same way that I would treat anyone else and to be professional about everything. You hear all these terrible stories about these women who are like sexually assaulted by their bosses or by men in general and that sort of behavior would you I mean would you sexually assault a male colleague if you wouldn't then like, would you, would you behave this way to a man? If you wouldn't, then don't do it. It's, it's unacceptable. And to remain professional in every way while still allowing yourself to have fun, it, I, I don't know, it's, it's such a thorny issue and there's so many men in the industry, so many women in the industry who sort of figured out 
kind of the way that things are happening and change is difficult. 